Hey, welcome back once again. It's your favorite time of the week with Disruptive AF, your favorite podcast at the edge of innovation. And Dan, welcome, because this week we have a very special guest, a friend of yours and mine. It's Chief Todd Simmons, who, uh, in case you don't know, he's a business, not only business coach, leadership expert, and founder and president of Courageous Leadership Alliance. Now, he's had 25 years of Air Force experience where uh, you know, Dan, you, you've known him, you've been him before at Hickam, where he's not only been the nurturing and, and the development of leadership type, but pouring into people consistently and just and just sharing with people how to build, you know, a society of courageous leaders continuously time and time again. So you've met him before, you've had time with him. Uh, Dan, why don't you uh, kind of tell us about your guys' interaction and how you got to meet him? Um, because it sounds like we have a lot to talk about today, especially yeah, with recent events going on. I am uh, so excited to have a conversation once again with uh, Chief Todd Simmons because uh, I met him a couple months ago when he shared a piece of mine that I wrote on the Air Force resiliency issue, specifically the suicide crisis that we were that we were facing. You know, after the the tactical yeah. pause that was called by Chief Ray, and and we were kind of reckoning with this issue. And I and he shared a piece of mine, and and I started following his material. Um, and I discovered that same day that he shared it, that he was actually on Hickam Air Force Base. Weird coincidence. So I, I popped on down and crashed that party. And we had a good conversation on uh, resiliency issues. And after, after, let me tell you, probably hundreds of leadership coaches and, and motivational speakers had failed to capture my imagination. Him, him telling his story and opening up and being raw on that stage, uh, it, it really got to me. And I was uh, just so kind of taken back with somebody being that open and raw and transparent on in front of junior enlisted. Um, and, and I was inspired. So I've been following him and kind of reaching out to him regularly to kind of bounce my feelings and thoughts off of him. So I'm, I'm excited to have the opportunity again, because I think he's truly a, a, a transformational voice in, in the lives of a lot of, a lot of uh, people in the Air Force today. So uh, Chief, I'm so glad to have you. Absolutely. I appreciate it. For those of us who 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 don't, I feel like I, I know you already by the accolades that we've had about you. So you, if you had to summer, if you had to summarize diving into it, um, you, it sounds like you've not only loved being pouring into people and in kind of their space of innovation, but really just be helping people to be able to find that next step and find the goodness that's in them. Which really, when you think about you know defense defense innovation, a lot of times people think about technology and processes, but there's this other human element to it that is innovation that is developing people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I, you know, when we, when, I mean, you can you can put this in so many different ways, but you know, when it comes to innovation, I think the core fundamental part of innovation is that you have to. I think we talked about it, you know, in the pre-show about the psychological safety. You have to feel and be inspired. You have to feel that the curiosity has to turn into passion. So all of those things uh, are about how do you feel today, right? So for me. Um, I know that every great human has to start with a safe uh, environment, a great foundation for them to live to their full potential. So if I yeah. feel um, restricted, then I'm not going to be creative. If I feel, you know, like I'm um, being told what not to do or what my true value is, then I'm not going to be a true version of my own self. So I think everything starts with that. So that's why I think, you know, I talk about empathy. I talk about vulnerability. All of these things are such foundational pieces to innovation that we truly don't talk about. We try to go directly to the let's be innovative without yeah. really giving yeah. people the mindset of to be innovative. So 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, I feel that message so much, especially as somebody who fought for such a long time. You know, I fought to be innovative for for a, quite a long time and kind of on my own time. And then I kind of dropped it because it wasn't worth the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. Right. It was I, I didn't want to step out of line. I didn't my my leadership definitely weren't supportive of me being experimental. There was a high risk of, you know, like taking risks that if if something didn't work out, I would be viewed as having wasted my time. And it was really it took something big for me to really start pushing hard. And that was the family issue that I had with my daughter and and Air Force policy issues. Um, and and that's what kind of launched me into this space of, oh, wait, no, we need to change how people how people set each other up to feel like they can express their experience, because from my perspective, we have a lot of people who would be innovators who are just kind of getting out of the military because they feel like it's not for us here. It's not for yeah. the Air Force. They're not really willing to accept that. Yeah. You know, it's I, I literally just as we're talking about this, I have this epif epiphany that um, which is probably not an epiphany to anybody else. But for me, it is. <laughs> <laughs> for me, it is. It's going to be, is it, you know, for, for so long, we talk, we've talked about the thing, you know, sometimes it's a thing, sometimes it's a technology, sometimes it's a process, sometimes it's a different mindset of the way that you look at. But the reality is the thing that we're actually fighting against, uh, oftentimes in a system that has been the way it's been for a long time is not trying to get the technology through. It's trying to break through the mindsets and the culture that has been that way for so incredibly so incredibly long and as uh, chief as you were saying that and even even dan as you were saying that one of the things i've been thinking about um because there's a couple projects we're working on now where it's not going just from one base now it is going to three other bases that simultaneously need to do the same process and my greatest concern is i can't help change their culture i can't help change that because i'm not there we built this process and a culture that works and, and a great example of it i think personally is if you think about an organ donor have we talked about this before dan i, I don't know if I've brought I don't this think up. So. if you think about an organ donor um in order for an organ donation to go well you have to have a healthy recipient and have to have a or a healthy donor and a healthy recipient and oftentimes when people try to move a good process or a good technology from a culture that has been innovative that has been thinking and you plug that system into a culture that is uh, not accepting of new ideas and some would say maybe toxic or or destructive uh, people will look at that organ and say oh the organ was bad that's why it's died and the reality is they've implanted a healthy organ into a dead corpse and you wonder why the organ dies yeah. And, yeah. and when you think about it, it's like we're not transplanting a process or a technology we're transplanting literally a heart and that's what that's at the core of what innovation is it's a it's a culture a culture of thinking different it's not just design thinking it's not just technology it's not just process it's not just industry it's the vulnerability to allow people to think differently mm -hmm. and Tief, that's one of the things that i love just reading through your bio that it sounds like that's what you've connected to your whole life is helping people to think differently about themselves to see more to do more absolutely i mean i've had to think differently and you know my innovative path came totally, you know, you know, it wasn't through academia, right? So I didn't start in academia. Yeah. So, you know, when I tell people and they say, hey, what do you think about innovation? I said, I always had to create something to get through something. So I always mm -hmm. had to think outside yeah. of the box 
to get through something that most people just took a straight line through. Whether that been yeah. education early in high school, whether that even was even joining the United States Air Force, even in my first few years in the Air Force, everything was outside because I came with a, a lot of issues into the United States Air Force that I brought with me. You know, some I brought with me, some I kind of picked up and carried into my bag and made it a lot heavier. <laughs> So, so you're in good company. I, yeah, yeah. So I will tell you. So I've always been this person who thought differently. Who, um, and I used to honestly, when I was growing up, you know, and even a, a young person, airman in the Air Force, I knew I used to feel like I was different, but not in a good way. I always felt mm -hmm, like, yeah. man, am I the naysayer, or am I the person who doesn't want to go along to get along? And it really caused challenge in my challenges in my career. Early on, I mean, I had times where I was actually punished for what I look back now, 25 years later, as I was just trying to be someone who we actually say we endorse down in the United States Air Force, which is someone, airmen, who think faster, think outside the box, yeah. is willing to disregard, honestly, disregard regulations that don't make sense, that are not going yeah. to kill people. So, yeah. I'm hearing, yeah. uh, and I might take a, a weird, this is going to be a sharp left turn here, but it's a theme that I'm hearing right now, which is allowing people space to express their experience without having to feel ashamed of it. Because I, I think that there are a lot of airmen who, when, when their experience comes up against that Air Force culture reality, their automatic assumption, and maybe reinforced by their leadership, is that, oh, there's something wrong with me, Right. And I want to yeah. I want to just acknowledge the moment, uh, the this cultural moment that the Air Force is facing right now and our country is facing right now where we're trying to, you know, the racial issues in the in the uh, aftermath of some some severe and, you know, to, to speak from my perspective, some the, the public execution of black men on the streets of America um, and the reactions and the the outrage and the protests and now the air force having to to facilitate honest conversations about what people are going through about that. And one thing that I'm seeing is that need to allow people space to express their experience without having to feel ashamed of that experience. And I wonder if you would, would do us the, the service of kind of speaking to that, because I think that is, that is highly relevant right now. And I think that, that you could may, may, maybe help us, shed a little light on the importance of that, not just for innovation, right? But for for culture and for leadership and for moving forward as a force. No, no, I appreciate that question, Daniel. And, and I will tell you, um, it's been a tough two couple of weeks. You know, it was tough the day I watched, yeah. I watched a human being life in on TV. I don't, I don't think I've ever, I've ever seen that outside of a movie, you know, yeah. like, on, on live TV where it was playing out in a way that was horrific. And I, and I think anyone will acknowledge that 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 I, that was something that was absolutely horrific. And um, yeah. and, it, and it got to the core of just about anyone's emotions. And I will tell you, this is a moment in our country. And for our generation, I would say this is our moment. And I was, you know, as I look, I'm 44 years old. So no matter if I'm 10 years older than you are or, or whatever, this is our generation of, yeah. you know, I don't think there's been a conversation, if you want to say a conversation on race at this level, that's a national conversation since 1968. Yeah. In the military, 
I would yeah. say that it's this large. And that's probably, you know, so I, I would say this is a moment of, you know, there are a lot of folks out there who are regarding, there are a lot of folks out there who are anxious. There are a lot of people yeah. out there who are for the first time in their life facing the reality of that we are not at a place that we thought we were, um, that there are things that people hide and live two lives like me. And, and I don't know if you had an opportunity to see the video that General Brown released uh, today. Yeah. What Incredible. a video, the highest ranking, soon to be the highest, you know, if he's confirmed, he will be the highest ranking officer in the United States Air Force, let alone he's African-American male, but he'll be the highest ranking officer in the United States Air Force. And to hear him say, um, essentially, that he has grown up with these issues. And I will just be honest with you, Kinsley and Daniel, um, what you see, you know, I, I, there's a tale of two lives, right? So I am a, I was a chief master surgeon. I was a command chief. I traveled all over the world more than 150, 160 days. And I was treated with the utmost respect anywhere I went. It was genuine and I knew it was, and people would communicate with me. But I would drive in my car back, you know, home. And if I saw a police car, honestly, I got nervous. Yeah. If I was, if I was in my, when I, and, and I live in a neighborhood that majority of the people who don't look like me, are there times where people treat me differently and it's really noticeable? Absolutely. Yeah. Is there times where I have been profiled? Absolutely. And I will just say, when I was a staff sergeant, the most humiliating thing has ever happened to me when it comes to race was while I was in the United States Air Force. Hmm. And it was while I was a staff sergeant going home to see my wife and newborn baby um, in Alaska. And at the time I was looking at a polar bear in the Anchorage airport, you know, a, a taxidermy polar bear. And I was very fascinated by it. I'm a kid from South Carolina. I've never seen a polar bear before. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and a guy approaches me at a relatively aggressive way in, in civilian clothes with someone else. And he said, who, and he said, Hey, and I said, Hey, and he said, can I see your identification? And I said, who are you? He's just dressed just like me. Mm -hmm. And he said, don't, you know, I'm a cop. And I said, well, you don't look like, a, you know, who are you? Can you show me some identification? You just two random guys that literally yeah. just, just rolled up on me. And he said, well, and he started getting aggressive with me and this other guy and they started cornering me. And I, 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 I literally was a little bit thrown off by this and felt a little bit afraid. So long story short, um, he did show me some ID and he was an off duty state trooper. Hmm. And we got into it and he said, can I see your ID card? And I said, well, I don't, wh who is he? Who is your friend? He said, don't worry about it. He said, is he a cop? And he was like, don't worry about it. He's with me. So he started telling me, I just want to, you know, you know that it's a lot of drugs that come through here. This is a large drug trafficking area. And, you know, and, and I'm just sitting here staring at this guy and I'm like, okay. And he's like, you know, you just look like out of place in here. And I'm like, hmm. I'm, at my, I'm literally at my gate looking at a taxidermy polar bear, waiting on them to call my flight. I'm not outside yeah. the airport. I'm not in the waiting area. I'm through security and I'm waiting at my gate. And, and I'm sitting there going back and forth with this person. And I'm really starting to, now that I know he's a cop, I'm getting a little afraid. So not to take up too much time, you know, long, he, he essentially never calls airports the police or anything. So we go back and forth. So I finally whip out my wallet and I show my military ID. And things de-escalate. Mm -hmm. 
He said, oh, you're in the military? Where are you stationed at, Fort Wainwright? I said, well, no, I'm actually um, at, up at Allison Air Force Base. And he said, oh, okay. And he gave my ID card and walked away. Walked away. Hmm. So we both board the same plane and go to Fairbanks, Alaska. And we both go to the baggage claim together. And my wife is there with my baby waiting on me. And his family is there waiting on him. So I went and found a airport cop and let them know what happened. And I wanted those, I wanted both of them identified because I wanted their information to find out that he was an off-duty state trooper and the guy with him that he deputized, I guess, to come approach me was not even in law enforcement. Yeah. They were they were returning from a fishing trip. <laughs> and, 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 yeah. and, and, and that is the first time I've experienced that kind of discrimination prior to the Air Force. But to receive that type of discrimination as a staff sergeant who's deployed three times serving his country at that point, it was it was yeah. very it was very enlightening for me. So yeah. what I need people to do right now is just listen. Yeah. You know, I have friends of all walks of life who don't look like me, who are from other countries, international friends, and they're all been calling me. And what I ask people to do is just listen. You don't have to have an opinion. You don't even have to really um, understand. But we have to use empathy in this time. And in the the true definition of empathy is seeing with the eyes of another, hearing with the ears of another, and being willing to feel what someone else's feel from their perspective. If we can just step back and do that, that's all anyone is asking you for. Just a little bit of empathy. And I think no time in our country right then now is we need we need people to just take one step back and really try to process what someone else is saying. Don't take words that you may read as inflammatory. Don't take um, comments that you may hear as people are enraged and ready to to commit violence or anything. Just take a step back and look at it from someone else's perspective. That's all. You you know, that's a really interesting point because you've heard people talk about the golden rule, right? You know, doing to others as you would want them to do unto you. And uh, for whatever reason, it's like we talk about those things are nice in our personal life, but you know, business is a little bit different because business is business. But when you think about the principles you were just talking about of just stop and listen, those are principles that need to, must be taken into our businesses, into the Air Force culture, because what is that? I mean, what you just described is putting the concern of somebody else above yourself, Mm -hmm. taking the time to listen to where they're actually at. And I, I would say, and, and I don't know about your guys' experience, but some of the most frustrating times that I've had in my career thus far is I just needed the leader to stop and hear what I was actually saying instead of assuming they were hearing me and jumping to conclusions and talking over me. And Chief, I, I, from what you just said, I mean, this very human, this very real reaction of saying, man, just stop and listen where I'm coming from. I just, don't listen to respond, you know, just don't listen to yeah. respond. You have to have a true empathetic ear. And what I tell people is one thing doesn't work without the other. If you're going to listen, then you have to be able to put, you know, see from someone else's perspective. And you have to be able to have the compassion to be able to feel what someone is telling you. You know, mm-hmm. that, that video this morning, I can feel, you know, I, I, I'm not spoken to General Brown or, or, or know him that well to even even be able to, but I know through that video how tough and how raw those emotions was because I'm sure that's the first time in public that he's had to talk about that. And I tell yeah. people, it's, it's uncomfortable for me to talk about that on this platform 
you know, when this whole thing two weeks ago, I put one post and one post only on social media. And it was essentially all I want is you to see me, see me for yeah. who I am. I don't want you to see me for Chief Master Sergeant Simmons when I'm in uniform and see me from someone else when I take the uniform off. I want you yeah. to have the opportunity to get to know me, to know my intellect, to know what I'm in inter interested in, to know that, you know what, probably 98% of the same passions and interests that I have, it's the same passions and interests that everyone, yeah. of, you know, that you have. Yeah. And I yeah. think if we just give people the space again, to le to legitimately get to know each other. Yeah, we just fostered and facilitated our first unit conversation on the subject of race yesterday. And I'll tell you, it was a it was a very intense experience for for everybody involved. Um, and and we got the opportunity to see, you know, people kind of open up about their experience, the the um, the black airmen open up about their experience with racism within the Air Force, but also to have to make space for, and it, it feels weird and it feels wrong coming from my perspective, but to make space for those people who don't understand or be even believe in the extent of racism, to express that, it felt different. To give them the space and to, to attempt to empathize with why they are standing as obstacles in the way of making progress on this issue, I, it felt like a, an extremely important step, um, but at the same time, it it feel like a, you know, like I said, it feels kind of wrong to not just immediately, you know, because you have a viewpoint and you're like, no, you everything you're saying right now, it doesn't reflect the reality of what other people are experiencing. But that goes both ways, right? And we had our our chaplain said something at the very end, which I I found incredibly profound. Uh, especially coming from a black man who who had to listen to one of our airmen say, "I don't think we should even be talking about race right now because it's not that big of a deal." Uh, you know, like I don't think there's that bad of racism in the Air Force. And the chaplain spoke out and said, "It's important that we are empathetic both ways because that's the only way this conversation moves forward." Um, and and that made me think of all of the times with with innovation and when I'm talking about innovation and people are, you know, I want to change a policy or I'm experiencing like some kind of injustice within, within air force policy specifically, you know, this is my story of innovation in the air force is we were, we were suffering. My family was suffering because of an air force policy. And, and the, the people that I spoke to were only willing to be empathetic with a majority and they weren't willing to be empathetic with me and, and my experience that I was having. Um, and I, I just think it's, it's an interesting idea that as leaders, we could maybe foster the skill set to facilitate those conversations, because I think that's really lacking right now is what yeah. is leaders who are capable of, fa of facilitating those without it spiraling into something really toxic. So I, yeah. you know, uh, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how yeah. we could. Do that if if we can, guys. This is going to be a perfect place for us to be able to pick up right when we come back from break. Real real quick on Disruptive AF Podcast. Hey, if you haven't taken a chance, make sure you continue getting this great content right here by subscribing. Also, if you're watching on uh, line on YouTube, make sure you hit the bell to get the notifications when great content like this is coming out. We're going to be right back here with uh, with a chief right here on your favorite podcast, at Disruptive AF.
Defense innovation is made possible by the power of community and collaboration, which is why AFWorks created a chat workspace, the Innovators Chat, where you can connect with other like-minded innovators. Join more than 400 defense entrepreneurs already on the platform to discuss topics like software development, policy innovation, funding resources, books, and media, and more. Find more at afworks.af.mil. Hey, welcome back to Disruptive AF Podcast, where not only do we have Chief Todd Simmons with us, but Dan had actually just asked a great question of not only talking about having compassion for people and understanding where they're at, not only in personal lives, but also in the innovation space. So, Dan, why don't you take us right back to where we were about, you know, how do you do that for people? How do you, how do you, whether, you know, we're talking about innovation, whether we're talking about truly understanding where people are at and the problems that they're having. And it was really cool to hear your story Dan talking about, you know, your innovation journey really began with the frustration you saw in your own life and the challenges that you were, you and your family were having and how many more people are like that. So you can go ahead and pick back up right with that question that you left off with. Yeah. I'm just curious, you know, Chief, from your experience as a, as you know, a, a, as a facilitator yourself of these conversations. And that's what I saw when, when I saw you on stage at, at Hickam, um, was facilitating a conversation, an important conversation that, that gave people space to express their experience. And like I said, that's what we, that's kind of what I saw happen with our unit last night. And it was really important to have the, have the right kinds of people in the room who could facilitate that because it feels dangerous, right? Can you talk a little bit about your experience and, yeah, and how sure. that can go right? It goes right by, you mentioned the chaplain and he didn't take it about himself. He was facilitating a space regardless of his own experiences and things. So that's what leaders need to do first. You have to take yourself out of um, the equation first to be able to facilitate the conversation. This isn't new. I remember being a leader, uh, I remember being a squadron superintendent when Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed, mm, right? Yeah. And for that, that was emotional, which I didn't understand. For As a leader in the squadron, I didn't understand the emotions that my 433-person squadron, people in there were, you know, were going through. So my failure was not to really address it at first. It was because it was a non-issue. It, it just, you know, but, but that was a failure on my part. So we did have to facilitate conversations, but I had to take myself out of the conversation to give people a safe space to, to really express what they wanted to express. That conversation came when we had to talk about sexual assaults in the Air Force. I was at the Air Force Academy. Again, we had to create a safe space for people to have this dialogue. It's no different than us the last couple of years of talking about suicides. And we yeah. had to create safe spaces to tell. So you made a great point, Daniel. It's the, about the right people. And sometimes mm -hmm. our designee is always in the hands of the commander has to speak about it or the yeah. first person has to speak about it or the chief. And I'm just here to tell you, maybe that person is not the right person, not because they're a bad human being or the wrong, but maybe that's not in their skill set. And if yeah. there's a slide that I always show in every presentation I do when I do slides. And I said, we are all capable of making something worse, essentially. <laughs> yeah. And it's unintentional. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have to get out of the mindset of facilitation and leadership is not always the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 
it's no, not that, all. Oh man, that that feels so relevant to all of the efforts that I've been doing with just specifically in the innovation space with uh, Project Agitari. I have this I have this vision of of the ability to train people as facilitators, you know, and with with design thinking, that's about solving problems, but it's also about measuring culture and and facilitating those safe spaces. And I wonder why maybe maybe they they were trying to do it, I think, with the Master Resiliency Trainer Program. Yes. Um, but but I I I think that we could be doing more. I think that we could be moving forward with this idea of making sure that every unit has access to those people with those those particular skill sets. And and I think you're right. I think it is completely it's a completely different lane from mm -hmm. just your your leaders and your managers. Although I do think that that as leaders we have to we have to recognize part of our job is to is to facilitate the the power and growth of the people that we're that we're charged with leading, right? It's not just a it's not just a teaching position and it's not just a management position. Like actual leadership is about uh facilitating that that kind of that that power that they bring, the unique power of each individual brings. Uh, rather than just trying to plug them into, you know, problems. You know, it's what you've what I've heard you mention so far, Chief. Uh, is talking about uh, creating that space where not only the right person can come in and facilitate that safe environment. Um, and I know we've mentioned it several times before, but there's a book uh, called The Culture Code, and the author Daniel Coyle goes through and explains uh, kind of the three main things you have to do to be able to create a healthy culture in which people want to be part of it. That you know, cultures that are, are created by high-performing individuals and high-performing uh, businesses, corporations, and organizations. And the very first major point he makes is to form a safe environment so that everyone can let their guard down and that they can cooperate. And then it goes on. There's three main points. The second point, um, second point is to share the shortcomings, uh, share your own shortcomings as a leader, to show people that it's okay to make mistakes. And it's amazing. This transfer, I see this transformation happening. And, and a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, if you watch social media or, or memes or anything, you know, every, there's a hundred different memes out there about 2020. <laughs> 2020 is coming to like a ball. <laughs> oh, yeah. but, on, but honestly, you know, with COVID and everything that's been happening, I see it personally as our finest hour in many different ways. Because what has happened, what has been happening has forced these first two things to happen. One is forced people to make sure and, and be thinking about uh, of letting their guard down and creating a space where you can have these conversations. And exactly like you said, create a space where you can listen, where you can truly not only empathize, but you can you can let your guard down enough to realize maybe you're not compassionate towards somebody or, or, or towards mm. a, a mindset. And it's hard to do. And it's, it's hard to do, especially if you don't take that intrinsic evaluation of yourself. But by doing those first, first two steps, of creating that environment where everybody can let their guard down and cooperate. I mean, this isn't just an ethnic issue. It's not just a race issue. This is how we succeed as organizations. This yeah. is how we succeed as businesses. This is how we how we become the dominant force uh, across the world that is able to, to not only help our partners, but to create and do amazing things once again is by creating these environments. So, uh, you know, we talked about creating that safe space, that safe environment. Uh, and I don't mean that as a trite statement, but, but as a as those environments where people can come in and let their guard down, they can be part of the team, they can let the, you know, share their experiences. But then there's a, something so important about that second piece about sharing the shortcomings and the mistakes um, oh, yeah. that you have. And there's some really awesome things that I've been seeing happening where people not only have been listening, but they've been very quick to come back and say, you know what, for the first time ever, 
I realize I have never actually listened. I have never actually stopped to care. Mm -hmm. And I hope (laughs) with everything in me that every leader is not just thinking that this is a race problem. This is a, a problem in business overall is that oftentimes we as leaders don't stop to listen. Absolutely. We don't stop to care. We don't stop to have compassion or empathy for people. And what could happen if we did? Oh, great things can happen. You know, you know, I show a slide, you know, I actually talk about the slide and I go and I have like this big collage of all of the protests going back to the Boston Tea Party. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, what, you know, everything from Boston Tea Party you know, to revolution, everything, yeah. you know, what if we had, and what if they knew how to communicate? What if those two opposing forces knew how to just stop and listen to the other side and be mm-hmm. empathetic? Man, where would we be in some of these these long-standing issues we've had around the world? I mean, yeah. well, we it could even solve conflict sometimes. And I oh, mean, yeah. so I mean, for me, what you were talking about earlier is is allowing that space for someone to say more. I call you know I actually call that you know I always talk about pulling the string. For me, when I'm talking to someone, and even with Daniel, you know, I knew it was important. Him and I had a um, a little bit of a dialogue. I read, I actually got to read a little bit about what he was talking about. But just within 15 minutes of us interacting, I knew he was someone who I wanted to communicate with. He knew a little bit of my story. I knew a little bit of his story. And I actually, with the part he didn't tell you is I pulled him up on stage doing my presentation <laughs> and gave him about 15 minutes to just tell his story. You yeah, know, yeah. So, so for me, I call it pulling a string. Sometimes people are not in a comfortable, vulnerable space to want to, to, want to know about each other, right? So I'm yeah. the type of person where I just tell a whole lot of things about myself and mm-hmm. let you know upfront who you have in front of you that I am willing to have a dialogue with you no matter how uncomfortable it is. And I'm here when it becomes comfortable for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I'll tell you that the there's nothing. Um, so my, my experience with with my perspective on the issues, uh, the specifically the issues of, of race in America, I had this weird experience of before and after I read the book, uh, <clears throat> The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Um, and the reason I bring it up is because, you know, I hear uh, this, this message that both of you are kind of uh, saying, which is that sometimes the most important thing we can do as leaders is to ask whether we are currently equipped to mm-hmm. take an issue on to to have to foster a conversation or to even engage to 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 say anything like to try and impart some sort of leadership wisdom i I think it's really important that we first ask ourselves am i am i currently equipped and the reason i bring up the book the new jim crow is because uh but before i read that book i my mind was different and after i read it um my mind is is kind of transformed in this way where i realized that it wasn't, I didn't have the information in my head to understand what I was looking at in America, some certain phenomena in America, because I didn't have the life experience. I hadn't spent a significant enough amount of time uh, exploring the experience of other people. And it, it transformed the way that I view certain things. And I think that a lot of people haven't had that transformative experience of understanding, oh, wait, no, I'm not equipped to to take this on, to even have an opinion on this subject. I grew up in a town where if we, if me and if I was hanging out with my friends and one of them got caught with a uh, with you know with weed, 
uh, by the cops, the cops would empty the pipe and hand it back. And then they would send us home. We used to run away from the cops at night because we were, it was a fun game for us. And we knew that if they caught us, they would drive us home and maybe wake up our parents, but it was a fun game, right? So when I read that book and I learned a little bit about the way that uh, other people, you know, specifically in this case, you know, black Americans grew up in certain neighborhoods uh, in certain parts of the country, a significant number of people, I realized my experience does not equip me to have an opinion about some of these experiences. And, and that I think was transformative for me as a leader because it made me realize the importance of questioning at the outset, am I equipped right now to, to even have anything come out of my mouth? Uh, and, and that's why I think that, like, I love the message that we're hitting on today, which is that sometimes the most important thing to do as a leader is just to listen. Yeah, that's a great point, Danny, you brought up, am I equipped, man? I'm, I'm actually going to take, I wrote that down. I may use that because, you know, I'm talking with a lot of people and it, and, and it does, you know, a lot of folks, I don't think they see it from that perspective that you just laid out. They're gone. I don't know how to have this conversation. And it becomes a panic. It becomes yeah, a yeah. a red, a red zone issue where I don't know, I don't know what to do. So I'm going to either avoid it or I'm going to, you know, just try to hope it goes away. Yeah. But the, the fundamental question is, am I equipped? And how, how do I become someone who can have this conversation? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 You know, one one thing we want to be able to touch on before we wrap up today is, you know, we talked a lot about um, just not not only the cultural perspective, but also really getting down to the nuts and bolts of having empathy for human beings, for their experience, for where they're at. Um, and one thing we want to be able to do is tie that back into. So what are the actual items for our listeners, for our viewers who listen into disruptive AF. How do we take this into not only the innovation environment, the innovation space, making our units better better? And I think today's topic and area of focus is actually easier for applicability than any we've had before is because yeah. first <laughs> just be a human. Just yeah. just be a person. Be yeah. a person first. And allow people to be people first and allow people to focus. So I want to be able to just go around real quick and kind of talk uh, talk about that. Uh, what is that takeaway? Like, how can you as an individual right now for where you're listening, how can you take this mindset that we've, that we've talked about at first listening and empathizing, having some com compassion for people uh, in your workspace, in your uh, in innovation environment? Uh, what is that takeaway? Chief, what, what is the thing that you would recommend for people the most of, of that step? Man, I was just, you know, be curious, hmm. be curious. And that's, I mean, that's the biggest thing I would want to leave everyone. And, and, and curiosity is across the board. Mm -hmm. Be curious about me. I need to be curious about you. That is a fundamental part about innovation is curiosity. You know, <laughs> I want to make True. this better. I, I see that and it's not good enough. Oh, I think, I think that can be different. I think there's a new way. I don't think that works that right. I, you know, be curious. Mm -hmm. Curiosity mm -hmm. and empathy. Show empathy in everything. So curiosity is empathy, right? Because yeah. you want to get to know. You want to feel what that person feels. You're curious about who they are. Yeah. And so what I would leave is, if I can leave one thing, is be curious. Have yeah. a curious mind about everything that you approach. Yeah. And you can, can I add can can I add one thing onto that statement that that would be my takeaway is that when you're being curious, don't do it for the sense of trying to refute the other person. 
Yes. Do it for the purpose of trying to understand the other person. Yeah, that's why I say not so you can prove them wrong. Yeah. yeah. But so that you can understand and care. Absolutely. Because there's been many, many times, actually probably the most painful conversation I think I've had with somebody. It was, it was, I felt like they were actually starting to hear, like where they were actually starting to care only to find out that they were listening to try to prove me wrong more definitively. And I was like, what is going on? Like what in the world? Listening you weren't doing this to help me. Yeah. You were doing yeah. this to try to destroy it. It didn't make any sense. Yeah. If you walk into that conversation and and you're not you're not willing to grow based on what they're providing, then uh, then you're not getting anywhere and you're wasting their time as well. Absolutely. Uh, no, I love that. Yeah. yeah. You, you can't be curious without being empathetic. So it starts yeah. with empathy and then curiosity. Because yeah. you know, if you're like you said, you know, Kinsley, if you're going into it, you know, not really caring to hear, feel, or listen to anyone else, then it's not true curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and th there's something you mentioned before at the very beginning, kind of as we wrap up is um, you talked about helping people to identify not only their passion, but helping people to become passionate. Can you just talk for a second about, because we've talked a lot about not only just topics that uh, I think previously people would be say, well, that's taboo, or we don't talk about that at work. And what I've learned, been I'm learning more and more, the more that I learn, the more I realize I'm just I'm just become I'm more of a student than I am a leader because you're learning more about how people work and how people and you know how to be effective. Um, but when you talk about passion, when you talk about telling people to be passionate about something, that's not a topic you hear very often. And it's one that that really sparks to me of, of of how do you communicate that to people to say it's okay to dive in to figure out what you're passionate about. It's okay to be a compassionate person in work. Absolutely. So, you know, I tell people my career in the United States Air Force took off when I became passionate about something that was not affiliated with the United States Air Force. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it is the truth. So, you know, I, I've said this on another podcast for about, you know, I don't know, probably 20 years of my career of 25 years. I lived two separate lives. You yeah. know, I tell people my first Five to six years in the United States Air Force was all about the United States Air Force. I was passionate. Yeah. I was compassionate, passionate about just that one singular thing. And like yeah. I mentioned in the beginning, I had some learning issues and some challenges and stuff. But once I overcame those and I learned how to yeah. learn, my yeah. passion became education. Yeah. Wow. So once my passion became that, I lived these parallel lives for, I started teaching college as a tech sergeant at E6 in the Air Force. So for, for the rest of my career, I became, I became passionate about development, passionate about education, passionate about all of, you know, becoming a community organizer and different yeah. things that I became. So my Air Force career was never at the forefront. It just lived on one side of my head with Todd Simmons in the passion <laughs> drive lived on the other side. So the passion I had for everything that I had just kind of fed the Air Force career and they they both mutually benefited each other. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to say this and it's, uh, I got to promise this can't possibly lead us into another uh, another session of the podcast. I'm sure it will. But Dan, it's no shock to Dan, you've heard me say it before, this is what I call my passion principle or our passion principle is if you will take the time as a leader to connect a person to their passion, for a purpose, you will create fulfillment in their life. Yeah. And Todd, it's amazing to hear that from you because I found myself in the same spot and I see it in Dan too, is that um, the reason why I think we have, we have become uh, so 
focused on kind of the innovation space and not just innovation space, but helping people to be able to find a better way to do things is because we that's a passion for us. Like we love, we truly love doing it. I tell my wife and several other people, I don't wake up and come to work. I wake up and come to life. Like I love what I do. Absolutely. I love it. And it's because for the, I'll tell you a, a year and a half ago, I was out of the air force faster. You couldn't have done anything to keep me in because I was disgruntled, not a year and a half ago, I guess it was three years ago. I was disgruntled, I was frustrated, I didn't have a place for it. The system didn't uh, allow people like me of thinking outside the box to be able to do that until I, I got connected to what my passion actually was. And I found a way that the Air Force actually needed it badly. And there was an, an attitude for it, there was a space for it. I had leaders that were willing to listen. And it's a different story now, it's amazing. That, that will be the game changer. And I say it all over. So, you know, when we talk about innovative culture, I'm yeah. just going to be honest. Um, you know, my first chief in the Air Force, joined the Air Force in 1965, retired in 1995. I was raised, you know, so, so it's going to take my generation to honestly, in the next five to seven to 10 years to be out of the Air Force. So I've talked to Daniel about this. Like, hey, don't get frustrated because things have moved not fast enough, but they have moved. And we yeah, are yeah. making the space move. And what I need is for you, Kinsley, not to get up. I need you to give up. I need you to become a leader. Yeah, I need yeah, yeah. you to stick yeah. around and become a leader. Because once who replaces me, who replaces the next chief in seven or 10 years are going to yeah. create this new culture. And then now you have a legacy to come back. So me, I've always been that person, like we talked about in the beginning of the podcast, the different duck in the pond. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, I would have people come in my office repeatedly. I want every person who ever worked for me to have a passion that is not associated with the United States Air Force, not a hobby. I yeah. want you to have a passion that gives you a purpose because yeah. Yeah. purpose lights a fire in you that will only benefit the United States Air Force and will only benefit us as an institution and an organization that if you can't see that, because I grew up in a culture where when I was a young airman, People did not want us to go to school. It was, you will literally get chastised if you took a college class. And I couldn't yeah. understand it. And I would go against the grain and take college. And you know, I'll just leave it at this. As a young airman, the culture was different in the enlisted force when it came to education. And in the pecking order of people who can take days off were people who played intramural sports were first. Education taking a class was at the bottom of the line. So if wow. you have a leader who believed in education, you didn't get an opportunity to go to school. So I went against the grain. So what, what I say is connect people with they're passionate about. I yeah. love the fact that you can be a cop and your passion can be building networks. I love oh, the fact yeah. that you're a linguist and your passion is innovation. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, I, and I think it's funny that, that we're we're on this topic of passion and connecting uh, connecting people to their passions. Because I had somebody ask me to to come up with a quick blurb yesterday on what was one thing I wish every leader knew right now, and and this is what this is what I put. I said it's that success, progress, and innovation all come down to human beings. No single idea will take us anywhere without the passion of an individual behind it. And people can't feel passion for work if they don't feel like the entirety of who they are can be freely expressed in it. Uh, so I said, allow your employees to be who they are, ensure they feel safe, fully contributing without having to hide a part of their identity, allow people to be themselves, to be personal, and they'll pour their whole personality into the work that they do and the, cus and the customers or the clients or the users, they'll respond to that. 
And I think that too often when we're talking about innovation, we're talking about just ideas or we're talking about technology, but it's the people that are going to take it across the finish line. And that, yeah. that's where you need passion. Absolutely. I, I, I got to laugh because every time as we have generals and people come through uh, regarding pilot training stuff, one of the, the very first slides that we throw up there, this is, this is what we do. And it's that we connect people to their passion for a purpose to create fulfillment in their life. And it, I've not yet had a general or somebody who kind of didn't give that, that RCA dog look of, well, you got, and it takes a moment to explain, sir, I know this sounds fluffy and it sounds uh, very light and it sounds like a great idea, but you know, in practice, we need to get down to the programmatics of it. But everything that has been built in this innovation space is not because it was a good idea. It was because somebody was passionate about it. And we were able to direct that passion into the purpose that if you are excited about this, we'll give you time to be able to do that. And, and, and the results, that's what people don't realize is that people work so hard to create these results that'll change systems and solve problems. But if you will make that payment upfront of investing into the person, you will, you have not even begun to see the substantial benefits of allowing a person to go after their passion because they will be able to accomplish more. They will be come up with better answers. They will save more money. They will be, they will go far above and beyond what you're doing because you're releasing the passion they have in them and you're not forcing them to do it. And that's one of those intangibles. Uh, there's a book we don't have time to talk about it, but it, where it talks about the, the value of the intangible. And so many times people make decisions based off objective data uh, and, and measurable data. And, you know, the data says this, but, but what about the intangibles? What about this uh, subjective uh, information that it's too hard to quantify and it's too hard to qualify, but it is the principle that makes all the difference in the world that is able to change everything. Um, and to me, it is exactly that. It is focusing on investing into the individual and getting them connected to their passion for a purpose in the organization. Anyway, Chief, dude, it has been so awesome. I mean, seriously, it has been so much fun. This happens every time. We don't have near enough time on the clock. No, I appreciate oh. it. This is this has been the best thing I've done all week. Trust me. <laughs> That's well, great to hear. Yeah. That's great to hear. Well, uh, if you want to hear more about Chief uh, and, and the great organization that he is part of uh, yourself, you can go down to the comment section uh, below in the notes uh, to hear not only more about himself, but also about the Courageous Leaders Alliance that he is the president and founder of there. Also, make sure you subscribe to Disruptive AF that you get notifications about not only more great content just like this, but also uh, how you can get involved right here with AppWorks and the innovation space and the defense innovation environment right here. So Dan, it's been great being with you. Chief Simmons, thanks so much for being with us right here on Disruptive AF. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Jordan. And uh, thanks, uh, Kinsley, for this opportunity. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Dan, Jordan. Guys, we'll see you next week right here on Disruptive AF.